Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Unauthorized Critic Circle. Um, we wanted we to... We know you were expecting Marilyn, an American fable. And that episode is forthcoming. Um, yeah, we... But we couldn't let this moment pass without saying something. Uh, we are recording this uh, November 28th, 2021. Um, and it has been about 48 hours since um, Stephen Sondheim passed away in his home in Connecticut at the age of 91. I wanted to come with Dan and record something to just spend some time really talking about the man and what he's done for us because... As far as I see it, he's he's certainly become one of the single greatest influences of my life. And I find myself here kind of boggled at the fact that I was able to be alive at the same time as a genius of that caliber, you know? Well, we should first talk about how shocking the news was. Mm-hmm. I was at the first preview of Company, uh, the current probably revival of Company. It's reopening post-pandemic. Mm -hmm. And he was there. And he was mentally with it, and he was physically with it. Yes, he did stumble once, but 91 years old, uh, you're not expecting the person to run a triathlon. Um... <laughs> There were no signs that he was slowing down. And the very bizarre thing is when Assassin's tickets went on sale, I just happened to see a seat that I liked on the 26th. So I saw Sondheim at company on the 15th. I am about three hours from going to see Assassins. And the news comes in that he's gone. I, I just paced my apartment. I spent the next hour or so just pacing my apartment. I couldn't put the pieces together. I didn't know what to do. And, I mean, the bizarre thing on top of that, I had a ticket to one of his shows that night what was that experience like the first gosh that's the first performance of a Sondheim in New York post Sondheim I guess he apparently did die that morning but um, no one knew until after the matinee they gathered everybody they found out as the matinee was happening so then they gathered the cast and crew and they told everybody right because it was after um, the matinees because there were friday matinees specific because uh, mm -hmm. of the the thanksgiving because weekend. of thanksgiving yeah because it was thanksgiving and sondheim the day before he left us was out with jack o'brien having a thanksgiving dinner mm -hmm. you know that 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 it's been reported that last week of his life um or I guess I'll extend it to the last week and a half. He saw Company in its first preview. He went to a Thanksgiving dinner. He saw the Assassins open the night before Company. 
Right, true. He saw the show's in rep at the Lyceum. Uh, is this a room in Dana H? Um, he certainly was out and about and had a very sudden passing. Uh, as of recording this, this episode, I believe the cause has not yet been disclosed. I don't want to know. Yeah, I get it. I, whatever it is, I don't report. <laughs> we don't, that's intrusive. We don't need to know. I have to say, I, I I found out through a call from a friend. I think I got a I got a call a minute or two after the new. I think it was the New York Times had reported it, and I just answered the phone. And my friend went, "Did you hear the news?" And told me, and I found myself sort of struck. In it's it's weird having someone directly break that news to you because you're immediately you know you're immediately in front of someone. You can't just sort of shut down let the gravity of that sit with you you don't get really get the time to be contemplative you sort of just go wow how do i feel about this and i i think what i was experiencing was a kind of awe at both at the notion of the chapters closed and at the notion of we had 91 years you know the the first i still remember the first thing i said it was like, well, you know, that's, that is 66 years of service that he's given us. It's 66 years and it's been 19 full length musical works. Some of them, the most revolutionary to ever be produced in history. Some who have changed the course of the art form as we know it. And the fact that we had so much of that, that we had such an abundance of brilliance from the one brain is just jaw-dropping to consider we were fortunate enough to be given. It's still hard to believe. Um, yeah, he was 91, but he was raised appropriately to such a, I'm having a hard time finding the right word, but he was a god. Mm -hmm. He wasn't a human being to us. He was someone mythic and um, holy. Yeah. And so then to have a god proved mortal it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem in the realm of possibilities. I found out, I, I hopped into a shower after I got off work. I had to work on Black Friday. What the fucking do? Um, <laughs> I got in a shower because I thought I was going to hit up a store before I had to go over to Assassin's. Um, try and get some kind of deals. And got out, started getting dressed, looked at my phone, and there was the notification. And, I mean, dropped everything. Almost was late for Assassins because I just, I, time stopped. It mm -hmm. felt like my entire breathing changed. It, 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 breathing changed oddly connected to what is my heartbeat is my heartbeat actually beating 
And since, it hasn't been long since, but since every moment has been a reminder that he's not there. You sent a message um, Saturday morning. First time waking up in a post-Sondheim world. <laughs> We're recording this on the first... Uh, this is going to sound like, oh, it's a, this is a, my first, first time eating in... <laughs> my first time eating an Eggo waffle post Sondheim, but I, I <laughs> that is what it is. That's what it feels but, like. But 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 there's something that made me this this morning specifically. This that the fact that this is the first post Sondheim Sunday, and well, and I just went just, down to Times Square because they had that mm-hmm. thing on the steps, and. Mm-hmm. Lovely that they did that. Um, and everyone on Broadway is mourning. That was really a funeral. And like a lot of funerals... It was a vigil. Have, it was a vigil. I, I do have questions about front row placement. Oh, um, God. Are we going to do that now? <laughs> Catherine Gallagher has the right to mourn, and I don't know why Judy Kuhn and Bob Walton are way up on the stairs. And Bob Catherine Walton? What's his name? Jim. That's his name, right? Jim Walton. Jesus, Jesus fuck. Christ. Wow, you really are in mourning. I really am in mourning. I don't know why <laughs> Judy Kuhn and Jim Walton are on the stairs. I mean, I understand Judy Kuhn was with the cast of Assassins. Jim Walton was probably with the Come From Away people, but they earned front But row. why was why the cast of not? Assassins in the back? Why was the cast... They were at the front of the steps, but why do you okay. put them on the steps? Why do you not move them to the front? Why do you not move them and company to the front? Laura Benanti was in the front. Laura Benanti has earned front row status. I don't know. It, it's a thing in America where the front row of a funeral is very particularly planned, and some of the people that ended up in the front row, I have questions. So what I was trying to say... Sorry, I, I, I had to get that out. <laughs> I know, there's a lot that you have to get out. <laughs> it, it, um, it was a beautiful tribute. Um, I actually did enjoy the speech that Lin-Manuel Miranda gave. He did a nice job there today. Um, so thank him. I, I thank him for that. So what I was trying to say was... Um, there's something about a Sunday without Sondheim, a man who I think has forever changed people's association with a day. He turned a day into perhaps the most beautifully composed song for the musical theater. And I can't think about the day without thinking about the show. And... Are you saying that if Sondheim had musicalized Tuesdays with Maury, you would be very <laughs> grief-stricken for multiple days this week? You have no idea. I would... The inclination of a Sondheim Tuesdays with Maury, very fascinating. <laughs> Gosh. Um... 
as much as look, I want to talk a little bit about all the Sondheim tributes that have been coming up, but one of the things that has been revealed in all these Sondheim tributes is figuring out just who doesn't know how to read a room. Do you know who I'm talking about? (laughs) I think everyone knows who you're talking about. For those listening far, far, far in the future, a beloved newsy boy came onto Instagram and poured his heart out with a passionate, grief-stricken, and earnest tribute to the life and career of Stephen Sondheim. Uh, Describe this post to our listeners. Well, it was a, he, he had beautiful statements. And then he attached a pic where he's smiling and he's like wearing Skippy outfit and multiple colors splashes around him. And I saw someone tweet out, I'm so sad. Now look at my feet. <laughs> <laughs> someone tweet, I saw someone tweeted that in response. To... Yeah. Um, funnily enough, you go to the Instagram page now and it's not there. <laughs> It was removed. <laughs> he deleted the post. Oh my god. Go on Twitter to find it. You'll find some people reposting it. Oh. Um There is also um someone uh, Bradley Whitford who just played uh, Sondheim in Tick Tick Boom shared a statement um that I thought was really well written but there was a line that sort of felt a bit weird to me. I love how we've turned into critiquing people's grief. Yeah, that's what it's I want to really do. It's a really positive move. That's what I want to do. We're it's help we're help, we're we're recovering through this. Um he 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 wrote um he wrote something very in- very powerful which said uh, audacity is too tame a word to describe his fearless need to push the limits of what the American musical theater could contain. I'll write a musical about an apartment building. I'll bring a painting to life. There's a mass murder I want to write about and the people who killed our heroes. Washed up showgirls, fairy tales. I'll press my heart through it. I thought that was really fantastically written and I read it another time and I went musical about an apartment building is is Bradley Whitford talking about co-op? Co-op. <laughs> Is he talking about documentary now as co-op? He is. Uh, <laughs> well confused there. And the brown and the beige and the brown and the beige and the brown. Lennon's she picked up at Bloomies for a bedspread that I spoiled. <laughs> now I... Yeah, of course that's the song I go to. Yeah. The fact of the I, matter actually... is I did a little cocaine tonight. <laughs> I my apartment currently is not far from Bloomies and every mm. time I pass <laughs> when is she picked up at Bloomies. Totally. Oh, that's great. Oh. I... <laughs> I think this is actually the first time I've laughed since. <laughs> oh, I. There's been a lot of joy surrounding this because people have not just been talking about the weight of this loss and the absence of a mind of his, but talking about what the works have meant, which I think is so incredibly powerful, you know? To not just talk about 
what a life without him will be like, to talk about what a life with him has been like, and how think, we as a people have been blessed for his being in it. You know, I think I've shared this, but it might have been cut, so I'll share it again. Mm-hmm. Um, my first Sondheim experience, I got the Sweeney Todd revival cast recording with Patty Lapone because I had just heard Patty Lapone in Evita and I was like, oh, she's really good. Um, and I sat there when I got home and I listened to it and the earth had opened up. Not to be, you know. Um, we never hyperbolize on the podcast. It literally felt like it isn't hyperbole. It literally felt like the earth had opened up. I didn't Mm -hmm. realize a work of art could do that. And be that gorgeous, be that wrenching, be that emotionally involved. I mean, whatever positive um, adjectives you want to put in there, they Mm. apply. It changed my entire outlook of what life was and what life could be. And not the show specifically, because (laughs) saying, sweetie Todd, ooh, this is what life could be. Give me a razor. (laughs) You're gonna love tomorrow. (laughs) But no, no, to say that this is what a musical can be, and there is someone, I was immediately aware that someone wrote this mm-hmm. and it was possible that someone could write something this good and um, mm-hmm. I think that was honestly the first time I was really conscious other than just like an Andrew Lloyd Webber birthday concert on PBS it was the first time I was aware that oh these shows are actually written by people and the writers matter mm, mm. because I, I knew the actors didn't make it up, but it was the idea of the text that you were given. That's everything. Like it's one thing to interpret that and perform it on stage, but the actual writing of a piece and the actual thinking this, whatever show you're saying, thinking it up, that's got to be hard business, and those are the people you should be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And I've said to a couple of people, what's so hard about this is, and again, not hyperbolizing, Sondheim taught me what emotions are. He taught me how to define my life. Whatever emotion I was having, there was a song for it. Whatever word I was looking for, it was likely in one of the lyrics. My vocabulary tripled merely, especially coming at Sondheim from a young age. Hearing his vocabulary, learning those words, watching interviews of him where he speaks like he speaks, and having to Google those words and having to look those words up in an actual physical dictionary... All of the tools that I have to access and interpret the world around me are 
in very large part because of him. Mm -hmm. And so now living in a world where he is not there. I don't know what the terms are anymore. I don't know how to react to things. I would say he's given us everything that we need. There have been one of the biggest conversations around this is that it is insane that the man who we are grieving and the way that we are expressing our grief has been given to us by the man we're grieving. Mm-hmm. He's the one who taught us how to process and how to move forward and how to move on. And the fact that that his words are the one that are helping us through this. It's not just that his words become poignant. It's that these are the words that we use to help to us. Mm-hmm. And to comfort us. And that to me is what was most striking. That it's because of him we are able to get through that. Um, and I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. I still... Everyone talks about, well, you have to move on and the way that you have to react is you have to now go forward and create your own art and that is true and I feel that and personally I am not there yet I am mm-hmm. still in shock Yeah. what are the five stages of grief anger five. bargaining, denial oh I was going to say or, I was going to say company Sunday, Sweeney, a little night music. And Follies? Well, Follies is the ultimate. (laughs) (laughs) That is the ultimate stage of grief. Of grief, yes. (laughs) Phyllis! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Success is swell and success is sweet. The final stage of grief is you waking up in the middle of the night going Lucy's a lassie <laughs> Wow on the head The fact Jessie. that that's your grief it's phrase classy. in Follies is telling me a lot but virtually dead That is the ultimate stage of when you wake up in the middle of the night singing Lucy and Jesse as a ballad that is very sad. There is the ultimate stage of grief. Question for you. How many Mm -hmm. times have you experienced that ultimate stage of grief? Be honest. I have not yet. I have not Mm. yet. If you would have said it had happened before, I would have believed you. I'm sure you would have. People believe a lot of what I say, and I haven't lied on this podcast. You've said on numerous occasions that the audience loves hearing you sing. Well, and I want to apologize because I'm not in a space that I can really sing in. If we were in spaces (laughs) where we could sing, you would be singing one song at the end of this episode, and I would sing one song at the end of the episode, but couldn't work it out. To, To everyone's chagrin... 
you're doing this to me on this day. <laughs> on, what, day two of post-Sondheim, you are doing this to me now. And we all I process you things know, differently. I hope you know that it's going to be on day 2,156 <laughs> post-Sondheim. You they should are reconfigure doing this the calendar. Reconfigure the calendar. Reconfigure the calendar. We Happy, welcome everyone to Zero AS. BSAS. Or no, I guess, I guess, no, no, no. This would be 91 AS. I don't know how that. I don't know how the fucking calendar works. I don't know how BCAD works. I I don't know. Or is it just before Sondheim, the golden age, and then post Sondheim? Well, then you run the risk of calling 2018 the golden age. He was alive. I mean, it wasn't a great year, but he was alive. I don't accidentally want any implication that Mean Girls is lumped into a, a phrase like oh, the Golden Age. Oh, oh, this is a good um, Not the Golden Age of musical theater, but just the Golden Age of living. Sure, yeah, that I can get behind. So we got Jesus Christ and Stephen Sondheim uh, 2,000 years apart. What are the odds of that in the whole of human history? <laughs> so I mentioned to the audience uh, what my first Sondheim experience was. When did you lose your virginity? <laughs> you know, those two questions have one and the same answer. Uh <laughs> I would buy that. Fair. Um, What's natural comes I hard. Wow, fuck. Um, <laughs> I, I know the first Sondheim show I ever saw was Forum. I saw a friend of mine do it in a university production when I was in high school. And uh, I don't think I considered Sondheim too much. I really don't remember what his place in my life was for a while. Um, until I was sort of cattle called into doing a production of Into the Woods um, oh. to play the wolf in Cinderella's Prince. And I remember specifically reading the libretto for the first time and my immediate... I, th I might have told this story on the podcast. I can't remember, but I was reading the uh, libretto. It's restating, even if you have. Yeah. Um, and I was just sitting there going, what the fuck am I reading? What is this bullshit? Why did, why is this such a popular music? I was reading through it. I, I was actually kind of disliking what I was reading. I was like, this is some of the worst writing I've ever seen. It's also haphazard, and this dialogue feels so unnatural. I can't imagine trying to come up with like a justification for this line. What the hell am I... What's going on? I, and I was... the After that first ever cold read, I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing in this show. I don't know why the hell people go for it. And then I listened to, I think the first song I ever heard was Hello Little Girl. And immediately it was, oh, yeah, okay, got it. It was actually an immediate like, oh, yeah, okay, this works. This is exactly, this, this is why this works for me. And of course, since then, I've... Uh, I've become more acquainted with James Lapine and his writing and with the subtextual in 
into the woods, and I've grown a much stronger appreciation for it. But that was the first time I'd ever really, really considered the work of Sondheim and its brilliance to go, wow, this is this is really phenomenal. And, and I had that appreciation for Into the Woods then. And the thing that catapulted me into where I am now was the last show I saw before lockdown, which was um, Eclipse Theater's production of Sunday in the Park with George. And... As so- I think the point of no return for me was hearing the artists are bizarre verse in the title song. Hearing artists are bizarre, fixed, cold. That's you, George. You're yeah. bizarre. And and, and and hearing that accompaniment of like bum 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 bum. I was sitting there and I was kind of blown away because it's kind of like the first time you hear sort of like an expressionistic jazz piece for the first time, you know? Where you're sitting there going, oh my god, I didn't think these combinations of sounds could be conceptualized by the human brain. You know? I'm sitting there actually kind of fucking astounded to think, my god, what am I listening to right now? And after watching that show, I couldn't stop getting the music out of my head. The first ever Sondheim song that I found myself obsessed with was fucking gossip. It was that overprivileged women complaining, silly little simpering shop girls. I was so... I appreciate music really predominantly, I feel, from the left side of my brain. And if it really fucking sort of confuses me to an extent, I'll say, if it really throws me for a loop, if it's really absurd and abnormal and strange i just like dive my teeth into it i completely like i become obsessed with it um and that was a millions percent that was the first sondheim song i ever had on repeat um and as the lockdown started happening i started spending more and more time thinking about sunday and i watched that pro shot for the first time and when that was maybe the most glorious production of a musical I've ever seen and all of that had spiraled so and so much and had sort of ended up snowballing into where I found myself establishing a Stephen Sondheim marathon and literally months after listening to Sunday in the Park with George for the first time I had bought Sondheim and Co and I had borrowed um I who told you to buy Sondheim and Co? Was that you? That was me. Yeah. I buy it. Um, that was I. I literally told you you have to. This is the edition that you need. And yeah, yes, yes, yes. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you said you would send me photos of anything that was missed or whatever. Yeah. Um, I bought Sondheim and Co. That was before we were. I, we even had conceived. Oh yeah, that was like podcast. half half a year, half a year. Um, and I and I borrowed the hat. I borrowed "Look, I Made a Hat" from the library because I wanted to know what he had to say about Sunday. Um, and then I ended up buying the hat box, and I bought biographies. And I had decided that, in order to start understanding this man, and to or, in order to start really getting the sense of this guy, I have to know the work. And so I decided I was going to 
watch my way through finishing the hat, and look, I made a hat. And so far, I've gotten as far as a little night music. I've seen, I guess, all of his stage works up until um, 1973, with a couple exceptions of shows that I had previously seen. Um, you know what and, you should do, and I told you hmm. you should do it, and now is a perfect time. You should watch Last of Sheila, because it's not specifically related back to anything in Look, I Made a Hat, but it was mm-hmm. a movie that he wrote with Anthony Perkins, and it does feel immensely Sondheim. Yeah. So I absolutely should. Now's and, actually and, the perfect time to fit that in. And that's why I've been avoiding, like, Evening Primrose, because that comes later on in Look, I Made a Hat, and I would and, and I avoided, like, I don't know, the mad show or whatever as well, because I knew that the way the book, I wanted to follow it the way the book was written. I wanted to follow sort of how he curated it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was something I started like a year and a half ago, and I've still only gotten as far as a little night music so far, and I've been ragged on pretty heavily about my oh. lack of speed, but the the the, the, the truth of the matter is I am just grateful to have to have the opportunity to do that in the first place. I am grateful for the fact that I've seen Anyone Can Whistle and the fact that I've seen Forum and the fact that I've seen Follies and not so much about Do I Hear a Waltz, but that was there as well. And the fact that I've seen Gypsy. And <laughs> That's mean. What can... Look, I've experienced one poor work from the guy. What? It's not even his fault entirely. It, they can't all be hits. They can't all work. No, of course not. But the fact that he created 19 musicals and most of them were fucking revolutionary? Mm-hmm. And even the ones that didn't completely work have moments of 100% pure brilliance. Absolutely. But, um... Like, I don't think Merrily We Roll Along completely works, but... But it's some of his best writing. brilliant. Yeah, it's some of his best writing. Um, Anyone Can Whistle doesn't really ever work, and I am not certain what it would ever take for it to work, but it is a must-see show. It is something that everyone must experience at a point in their life. Mm-hmm. I... I find myself so struck... That we had this privilege to have our lives overlap with his. How many people, centuries and centuries and centuries down the line, well, how many people have had the opportunity to say that they their lives overlapped with that of William Shakespeare's? Mm-hmm. How many people were able, able to say their lives overlapped with Moliere's or Homer's? The great creators of our time the great writers you know that is a conversation we've lightly had that i would like to Mm -hmm. maybe end on sure there was one night and i forget why i kind of got philosophical and i said you know we have art from the Egyptians, we have Greek art, we have texts from these societies that are dead uh, that have let us know what life was like. 
should this society die, or should the entire planet, should we not round the corner with climate change and we go extinct, and aliens come to the planet years later, what would you want them to know? Mm -hmm. And I said, the ancient texts that I want to exist from this time are Sondheim musicals. I hope <laughs> that there is some way that at least a couple of them, the libretto is preserved along with maybe a record and maybe instructions on how you would play the record. I don't know. But I said should aliens come to this earth and we're gone, I would want them to find Sondheim musicals. Because watching those musicals, experiencing those musicals, they tell you what it is to be alive. And there is literally the song, Being Alive. And he had the ability to write that, write it quickly, because again, that was the fourth ending of Company that mm -hmm. they happened to land on. Write that quickly and have that feel appropriate. I mean, if someone wrote Being Alive right now and we didn't really know them and we didn't really trust them, we'd probably laugh at the hyperbole of it all. But he was such a master of form that company ends with being alive and you're like, yep, that's a perfect summation. Uh, there are two things that I would like to f say before I wrap up what I've got. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing is the thing going forward that I find optimistic. It's that um, Stephen Sondheim has carved out immortality for himself in the sense that he has produced art that can never die. There's nothing that can kill this art as long as it is being heard, as long as it is being recited, as long as it is being performed, as long as it is being produced, as long as it is being mentioned. If it's printed in a book, if it's on someone's piano stand as they're playing to themselves, if it's in a concert, he has created beauty that will last forever. It's not destructible. It's not vanishable. It's intangible, but it persists. And the fact that Stephen Sondheim will remain alive for the rest of the lifespan of the musical theater is something I hold immense gratitude for. And the second thing is something I'm going to circle back to from uh, that we mentioned earlier on in, in this recording. The last week and a half of Stephen Sondheim's life, he saw theater, and he saw friends, and he played the piano, and he held an interview, and he had dinner. And Stephen Sondheim ended his life sharp. I think that is 
the biggest... I, I am not a religious person, but that is the biggest blessing I could have possibly ever, ever asked for, for Stephen Sondheim. So many tremendous artists go out losing something, losing their sense, or losing their agency, or losing abilities to create or process, or things that even slow them down. Um, one of the biggest... You know, an artist that I love, Terry uh, Terry Jones, passed away with the last few years of his life suffering from dementia. That's one of the great minds in comedy writing, and that agency was slowly taken away from him. And I like to think that the last... He had that for as long as he lived. I am so extremely grateful that Stephen Sondheim lost nothing of Stephen Sondheim for the entirety of his life. And Dan, you said it best to me when you said that Stephen Sondheim went out on top. I sincerely, sincerely believe that is the case. I am so grateful that we had Stephen Sondheim for every second until we didn't. There's no real way to say thank you, because the gifts that he gave to us are so immense that to thank him is almost to minimize the achievement and the reality of what he was able to do. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And to me, agreeing with you that there's no words that I could possibly submit to express gratitude on the level that one would need to be able to meet that level of true thankfulness. The one way I know to give thanks is through the work and through the interpretation of the work and through the digestion of the work and through taking in the work and talking about the work and surviving the work. I think that is the only way to appropriately and effectively express enough gratitude that would ever meet the amount Stephen Joshua Sondheim deserves. So everyone go work on a Sondheim show? <laughs> go work on a Sondheim show. Go put on a Sondheim record. Go read a libretto to a Sondheim show. Go call up a friend and sit down and say, let's talk about this show. Let's see if there's anything I've discovered that you might discover from me or something I might discover from you. But Keep when you have alive. that conversation, I mean, it's it's a cute conversation. You, you don't want to turn that into a podcast. It's, <laughs> it's been done, and honestly. Yeah, um, yeah. We, I, and all these podcasts, they're really on the top of their game. I don't think you yeah. add it to the pile. Yeah, I don't you think they really need... Really add. They don't really need the competition, uh, the, the, the neighbors, I mean, uh, they, 
You have nothing to add. So, I mean, it's, it's great that you get to have that conversation in your life, but you have nothing to add to the greater experience. Well, nothing that's not been added. Added by you, though, Josh. I do not know where to go. And nor did I. I want to make things that count, things that will be I did new. what I had to do. What am I to do? Move on. God fucking damn it, we still managed to, to fit it into the episode. worrying where you're going. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. And we are sad with you. We will. We will soldier. You will get through this together, best as we can. Sometimes people leave you halfway through the wood. Do not let it grieve you. No one leaves for good. Thank you for listening. Oh.